lead us in prayer, please, sir. Thank you, Lord, we thank you for this day and the opportunity to be able to gather together. Lord, we thank you for the sunshine, and we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we are thankful that Nancy could go home, that she's recovering well from her surgery, and just ask that that would continue. And we're also thankful for the good report on Mrs. Wall and her surgery going well, and ask that you give her continued healing and strength. And Lord, we ask that you would be with those that are traveling. Please give them safety. And Lord, we just ask that you would teach us something when we were this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, we'll read through verse 3. Philippians 2 and verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So last, last week we looked at this matter of, you know, the, the world talks about self-esteem. You know, they try to say, well, people um, do this or that. Uh, I was reading some articles about suicide this week, news articles. Uh, someone being bullied and she committed suicide, just a young lady. And that's sad, and sometimes the world says, well, people just need more self-esteem. We don't need to think more highly of ourselves. We need to think more highly of God. It's God that has a plan for our lives. You know, we can pat ourselves on the back. We can try to build ourselves up, but the only one that can really build us up and, and give us a purpose in life is God. Uh, because others will cut us down. Others will criticize us. Others will tell us we're nothing and worthless. Uh, but it's, it's God that will encourage our hearts and will show that he has a will for us. Where do we find that will? Well, if you'd hold this, turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. That's why each of us need just to be in the Bible reading every day. Romans 12. And verse 1, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present, what? Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto who? God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may, what? Prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect, what? Will of God. God made us. We've probably all used screwdrivers as pry bars, and that doesn't always work so well, does it? Sometimes they bend, sometimes they break. They really weren't made to be a pry bar. Um, and in our lives, sometimes we try, to, we try to do things with our lives that God never intended us to do. We have all these people... Uh, what a heartache. I read another news note this week, and I didn't listen to it, but I guess it was a, like a YouTube video or something that surfaced maybe a couple years ago, but has surfaced again. And so here's this mom uh, having, I believe it was a six-year-old boy in the hospital. And so she's telling her little boy that he is really a girl. And so as, as I believe it was six years old, they started giving this little boy medication and he's crying. 
he's crying, and it's, uh, it's, it's just horrible what they're doing to children. Uh, and, and those children are, are not going to be helped. You know, sometimes they say, well, the reason the suicide rate is so high amongst transgenders and LGBT is because they're bullied. Where do they get bullied? You can't do that in schools. If you harass any of them in the least, you're going to be kicked out of school. You can't, you can't bully them in the workplace and get away with it. In just a moment of time, you'll be fired. If you say anything that leans toward harassment, you'll be fired. So the reason these people are committing suicide, their rate is very high, is because they're going against the way God has made us. And then they're not finding satisfaction. They're, they're being told and patted on the back and, and encouraged to go that direction. But when they get there, they don't find the peace and happiness that they were promised because they're going against God. So it's, it's in the Bible, verse 2, where we will find the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, if you go to Psalm 147, which was up here on the wall as we entered in, Psalm 147, you know, it, it's only God that can fix a broken heart. Now, man can work on our physical heart, but that doesn't help our disposition. That doesn't help our outlook on life. We need God's work in our hearts. In Psalm 147, uh, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5, or maybe beyond there. Verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is what? Comely. You know, when we are singing praise to God, it's really hard to look sad. It's, uh, it just brings joy to our hearts. It says praise is comely. You look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm aging, or this or that. Well, just sing praise to God. And that's comely. Verse 2, the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth what? The broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. God is the only one that can heal a broken heart. Verse 4, he telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. God is the only one who has all the stars numbered. Remember, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or so, we had a message on... Um, stars and the glory of the stars. And we show, I showed you those pictures of those countless n- numbers of solar systems like our own. And e- in each solar system, there's billions and billions of stars, just like in ours. And you just think about it. That's amazing. God has each one of them numbered. If you were to ask God, tell me, how many stars are in existence? He would tell you the number. It'd probably be a number that we don't even have a name for, not billions or trillions or beyond. But he could tell you, he could give you a number of a certain power, or he could give you a number in the name and tell you how many zeros that is. He could do that. But not only that, he has them named. He, he telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. More and more in life, we just become a number. Uh, my wife and I were at a store, and, and uh, the lady wanted to know my social security number. 
And I didn't find it in my wallet. And I know they say you shouldn't carry it in your wallet anyway. But so I'm thinking, what is my social security number? Um, how many people's phone numbers do you know? You know, when I was a boy, every family had one phone number for their house. Now, it depends on how many people are in the house, how many phone numbers there are. And now we have these conveniences where you have, like, you just hit their name, and there's a phone. And, and so after a while, you don't use their number. You just, you just do a one-touch, and you're calling. But God knows not only the number of the stars, he called them all by their names. Why did God tell us that? It's so we know that we're important to him. He cares about us. He knows our name. No one else may, but he knows our name. Uh, verse 5, great is the Lord and of great power. His understanding is what? Infinite. There's no one here this morning that knows every single thing about any one person here. You may say, well, I live with this person. Well, that, that doesn't mean that person knows every single thing about you. Maybe a lot about you, but God's understanding is infinite. He knows our needs. In verse 6, the Lord lifteth up who? The meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not thinking of self. Moses was said to be the meekest man upon the face of the earth. But was Moses weak? No. Uh, when it come time, the children of Israel fell down before a golden calf and worshipped it. Moses took that calf and ground it to powder and threw it on the water and made the people drink of it. Now, if somebody threw something in the water that you didn't want to drink, and they said, drink it, would you drink it? You wouldn't unless you were afraid of that person. That's the only way you'd drink it. So Moses was not weak, but he was meek. He thought more of God than himself. So the Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. So remember we said last week that Philippians 2, 3, that one good thing, when you, when you want to study the Bible, read a chapter and just try to pick out a verse in that chapter that would kind of summarize that chapter best. It doesn't have to match anyone else. It's just a, a verse that speaks to your heart. Well, in my reading of chapter 2, verse 3 really spoke to my heart. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's what we need. We don't need self-esteem. We need a holy esteem for God and for others. We'll, we'll take care of ourselves. You mark that down. Um, so the previous chapter, though, ended in conflict, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 30. It closes by saying, having the same what? Conflict, which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Well, what was the conflict in Paul's life? He's writing this from prison. Paul is in prison. Why is he in prison? He was in prison for serving the Lord preaching the gospel, and it became outlawed. Um, I believe it was in England, I just read last week, that a lady was threatened with arrest because she was singing on the street 
And I think maybe it was London. Singing on the street. And an officer comes up to her and tells her she, she can't do that. You can't sing. You can't sing praises. Hmm. Does that remind you of any city in America? You're singing praises to God and you're threatened maybe with arrest. Hmm. It seems like there's a city real close to us where I heard about that once. Hmm. Does that ring a bell with anyone? How about Greenville, Michigan? Yeah, we're out there as a church. We're singing hymns. We're not having a rock and roll jam. We're, we're just singing hymns. We're fully clothed, modestly clothed, uh, reading scripture, giving the gospel, and then alternating between that and singing hymns. And people are calling 911 on us. Um, I think who should have been arrested is those who were abusing the 911 system. It's not an emergency when someone is singing hymns or preaching the gospel. Uh, but that's what happened right here. But it happened in England um, as well recently. Um, if they only knew what had happened in America. Um, but it has. I'll say it. Um, so <clears throat> the conflict. Now, keep that in mind. Paul, th throughout this whole book, Philippians, um, it's only four chapters this afternoon if you have time. Sit down and read this whole book and just think about it the whole time. This man is writing all of this from prison. Um, it, it's pretty amazing, the things. And from prison, he's saying, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's not thinking about himself. Even though he's suffering in prison, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. But anyway, back to chapter 1, verse 30 there. So conflict. What do we do when we face conflict? Well, one of the first things we do is we go into, humanly speaking, we go into a self-preservation mode. Conflict. Why did you do that? What do we immediately go into? We go into self-preservation mode. I didn't do it. That person did it. You get pulled over for going over the speed limit. Say to the officer, why did you pull me over? Because you were speeding. Why didn't you pull all those others over ahead of me who are also speeding? You see, we're in conflict. We immediately throw up the walls. We want to protect ourselves and at everyone else's expense. So we're not following verse 3, esteeming others better than ourselves. All we know is that we want to preserve ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. And so he's writing to these newer Christians in Philippi saying, listen, you talk about conflict, chapter 1, verse 30. Well, I'm in the midst of it. I'm sitting in prison. But I'm telling you, we need to think of others, not of ourselves. So, so sometimes when we get into conflict, though, we, we go into a terrified mode, a self-preservation mode and a, a terrified mode, and sometimes we just want to run. If you hold your place here, turn with me to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. We talked about it last week. If a ball was coming your direction, what would you do? What would I do? Would we duck? Would we 
jump aside or the person closest to us, would we jump in front of them in case it was going to hit them? You know, those are split-second decisions. Um, Brother Jim's older brother, I believe, rolled a, a car one time, and um, I don't know if it was his fiance at the time, but anyway, I just remember hearing the story. I was just a boy when this happened, but hearing the story that, and I don't know what happened, why the car rolled, but they were going off the road, and his first response was, um, I don't know if he pulled her down to protect her. Anyway, I remember he, he did something to protect her. That was his first thought. And would we do that? You know, would we do this or would we do, you know, would we protect the other person? Well, in Psalm 55 and verse 4, let's read 4 through 8. Psalm 55, 4. The Bible says, my heart is sore pain within me, and the what? Terrors the terrors of death are falling upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath what? Overwhelmed me. Overwhelmed me. So, I mean, this is going into a, a, a fearful mode, a terrified mode. Verse 6, and I, and I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then what I what? Fly away and be at rest. David is thinking, I just got to get out of here. I've just got to get out of here. Uh, the verse 4, my heart is sore pained. Verse 4, the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Verse 5, fearfulness and trembling. Horror hath overwhelmed me. So verse 6, he's saying the best thing for me is to get out of here. Oh, if I had wings like a dove. They didn't have airplanes back then. If they did, maybe he would have written that. Oh, that, that I had the money to run to the airport and fly away. Get away from all the trouble. Um, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. Uh, just, I just want to get I just want to get away. I just I want to get away in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to be around anyone. I just want to get away from all people. I'm 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 tired of being harassed and and problems, problems, problems. I just I just want to get away. I just want to get away. Verse 8, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. You know, Elijah felt that way at one time. Notice in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was a mighty prophet of God. Uh, he was, you know, they, they say things today like a man cave, you know. Some, for some men that might be out in the garage or maybe a room in the basement or wherever. Anyway, they, they call it a man cave because it's supposedly a place where a man can just get away and be by himself. Well, you talk about a man. Elijah was a man. He was rugged. He, he dressed like rugged in the wilderness. Uh, but he had, he had faced the prophets, the false prophets. A group of 400, a group of 450. And now Jezebel comes against him. Verse, uh, chapter 19, 1 Kings 19.1. 
And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with how he had slain all the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So Jezebel sends a death threat to him. So what does he do? Verse 3. He's already faced, he's already stood on Mount Carmel. We don't have time, but if you were to read the previous chapter, he, he has stood alone for God. Have you ever stood alone for God at work? I mean, when you're, when you're alone at, at work or when you are at work, do you feel like Elijah on Mount Carmel? Do you feel like there's not anyone there that cares about you? Do you feel like there's no one there that cares about God? Do you feel all alone? Well, that amounts to what Elijah was feeling. So all these false prophets are killed after this mighty, uh, glorious thing, fire from heaven that God did in, in verse 38 of that previous chapter. But So now Jezebel sends him a hate note, a threatening life for his life. So verse 3, 1 Kings 19, 3. And when he saw that, he arose and what? He went for his life. He didn't stop and ask God. Now God had just had him overcome all of those false prophets. Uh, there's two different groups. Um, and he, he, he has them killed. Uh, God has protected him through that. But now he's, he's faced 400 plus people and now he's running from one woman, a powerful woman, the queen, but he doesn't ask God. He just runs. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he what? might die. He has just seen God preserve his life, outnumbered 400 to 1 plus. And now he's saying, God... Would you just let me die? Would you just let me die? I can't take anymore. He said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, and an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? You know what? When God has to come to us and say, What are you doing here? We know we're in the wrong spot. When he has to come and say, what are you doing here? We know we've just gone on our own. Well, verse 10, what do we do when we are confronted, when we are challenged? Nobody has to give us self-esteem. It's, it, it's, it's there, verse 10. And he, Elijah, said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Did God not know that? Yes, he knew it. 
For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Did God not know that? Yes, he knew that. Thrown down thine altars. Did God not know that? Of course he knew that. And slain thy prophets with a sword. Did God not know that many prophets had been killed by wicked? Yes, he knew that. And he says, and I, even I only am left. Did God know that? Well, actually, that part wasn't true, was it? God would tell him, I have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But this is why he took off. He felt like he was all alone. And they seek my life to take it away. The thing is, is he was not alone. Number one, God was always with him. And it's the same with us. How many times do we feel so all alone in life? But we're not. God is with us. And furthermore, there are other people out there that know the Lord, even though in this case, there were 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal, but they wouldn't speak up. At work, there may be some Christians that are just too afraid to open their mouths because if they do, they know they will get mocked or maybe lose their job. And so they're afraid for whatever reason. But you know, when we stand up for Christ, then you know what? Sometimes they will stand up. I, I worked at a trust rafter factory, and there wasn't much talk about God, but God got a hold of my heart. And so I started witnessing to the men. I asked my boss if I could put up a, a track rack at work, and he gave me permission. And I started carrying my Bible in my back pocket. It was a whole Bible, but just a little one, so I'd have it to talk to men when I had the chance. And you know what? Um, I saw others that were older than me that were Christians then that also started speaking for the Lord. So someone, God wants someone to stand for him and not be ashamed. Will it be us? We're not alone. He's with us. Elijah wasn't alone. God was with him. If you notice with me in Matthew 28, Matthew chapter 28, God promised he would always be there for us. In Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Then what? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Then what? Teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And you may say, why do we have to do that? Verse 18, he's the one that said all power is given unto him. Are we all powerful? I mean, this morning, do you feel all powerful? I mean, do you feel like you could just stand up and grab that chair and just throw it across the room? No, we're, we don't have all power. God has it. Well, then why does he send us? Is it, is it fair? Why is he sending us out when we're so weak? Well, notice what he says in verse 20, the last part. He said, and lo, I am what? With you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. God is with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. So God hadn't forsaken Elijah, and God hasn't forsaken you and I. Um, so if we go back to Philippians chapter 1, 
in verse 28. Philippians 1.28. So what are we facing right now? Are we running from God? You may say, well, if I'm running for God, why am I sitting in church? Well, we can be sitting in church, but still in different areas of our lives on the run from God. And maybe not on the run from God, but just on the run because our time is fleeing fast. But if you look at Philippians 1.28, and in nothing, what? Terrified by your adversaries. That was what Elijah faced. He was terrified at, the, at what Jezebel wrote to him. He knew she was powerful. Uh, what did she do about Naboth and his vineyard? Well, she lied. She wrote letters in her husband's name, telling people to frame him that he had done a, a sin worthy of death. And all the people in that city and village were afraid of her. So they went ahead and did it. They lied about Naboth. And so then they all went out and stoned him. They killed him. But the Bible tells us, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. You know what? Paul is sitting in prison, in a Roman prison. You know, Romans were not necessarily friends to Christians. Remember what Herod did to James? He killed him. And because it, it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to jail Peter also. And he intended to kill him too. But God didn't allow that. So the Bible says in verse 20, And nothing terrified by your adversaries. Paul is sitting in prison. He knows what the government of Rome has done to Christians. Do you know, I mentioned this just recently, but it just come out in the news that on some FOIA documents, a FOIA is you can um, petition the government to give you copies of all of their letters that they send back and forth and... Uh, they have to do it unless they're information considered secret, uh, which obviously that's greatly misused. But anyway, so it come out that one part of our government has, um, has been looking at who's been buying Bibles. And it's like, like that's, that's a trait of a terrorist, buying a Bible. I've never seen that said about buying a Quran. Uh, you know, how, ma how many airplanes have Christians hijacked and run into skyscrapers and, and killed thousands of people? None. How many Muslims have done that? <laughs> well, quite a few. Uh, but no, we're, we're the terrorists. So Paul, when Paul is writing this, he is sitting in a government under a government, the Roman government, who has known to terrorize and kill Christians. But he's telling us, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to uh, suffer for his sake. You may say, well, I didn't know that was involved. When I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me, I, I thought he was saving me from suffering. Well, he has saved us from eternal suffering in hell, but he's asking us at times to, well, not at times, he wants us to always stand for him. 
And yes, there's always an element to it about, will this cost me dearly? But you know what? The rewards are so rich. I mean, when you stand for Christ, you just feel so good inside. And the Lord, he watches out for us. Well, our time is up, but I want to go to, just to read Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. So, we're called upon this week not to go into flight mode, not to go into a terror mode. Conflict, when conflict arises, let's not run. Let's not go into a terror um, and just think about ourselves. Let's ask God. We don't want God this week to come along and say, Mike, what are you doing here? We want to have asked him, Lord, what do you want me to do? In Mark 8 and verse 35, Mark 8, 35. For whosoever will save his life shall what? Lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall what? Save it. You know what is so frustrating about politicians? Too often it's just, they're, they're only concerned about their own neck, their own job, their own position. So they change, they'll do anything to keep that position, some of them. But verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In verse 38, here it is. Whosoever therefore shall be what? Ashamed, Ashamed of me. Well, who's the me? Jesus, this week, will we be in any circumstance or setting where we will be tempted to be ashamed of Christ? That is, whatever the talk is going on, will we be ashamed to speak up for Christ? But not just his name. And of what? My words. words. What are his words? The Bible, the scripture. So will there be any conversation or setting this week where It'll be a situation where we would be ashamed of what God has said. Well, it goes on to say, of him also, of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. So if we're ashamed of Jesus and his name, or of his word, the Bible, in what kind of a situation? In an adulterous and sinful generation. Well, that sounds like right now, doesn't it? It sounds like it's hard, a generation that's hard to live for God. That's this right here. Of him also shall the Son of Man be what? Ashamed. If we're ashamed of his name and his word, when we see him one day, he's going to be ashamed of us. When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I don't want that, do you? Can you imagine the first look that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now we're saved when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, His his blood, which he shed on the cross, has washed away all of our sin. But can you imagine seeing Jesus for the first time? And he looks at us in shame. Have you ever, remember when you were young, did you ever see your parents? Did you ever look at your parents and you had done something wrong and they looked at you with shame? It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Can you imagine our first look at Christ? We don't want him ashamed of us, do we? I just pray the Lord would help us this week not to go into a flight mode, not not to just be fearful and just run. We just need to get in the Word and say, God, help me, help me.
to know what to do in this situation. I want to do your will. I don't just want to run. I want to do your will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, forgive us when we, just like Elijah, just go into the flight mode. We just, we just run. We're like David. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then would I fly away and be at rest. But Lord, we know that when we run out of your will, fly away out of your will, that there's no rest there. There's no peace in our hearts because you are the prince of peace and we have taken off without consulting you. So Lord, help us, help each of us this morning. None of us know what we're going to face this week. And I just pray that each of us would not just run out of self-preservation, but that we would run to you, Lord, what should I do in this situation? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Uh, next service starts about eight minutes or so.